Hey, good morning and welcome to Breakthrough Walls. I'm Ken Walls and I'm your host. Today, I have an absolutely spectacular, wonderful, supreme guest on by the name of Amy Lee Westervelt. You are going to love this woman, so hang with us. And we are back. Good morning, Mr. John Morgan, a.k.a. former President Bush. So, hey, I want to bring Amy Lee Westervelt on. Amy Lee, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Ken. So glad to be here. I am happy and honored that you're here. Amy Lee has become a very good friend of mine. She is... um, uh, she's just amazing, you, which you guys will see here in just a moment um, after I let her talk. <laughs> <laughs> she's she, Amy Lee is a client of mine, and she's she's turned into a dear friend of mine, and, and I'm honored to have you on the show. So, um, Amy Lee, I created this show almost exactly three years ago, um, and it was to to help people get unstuck. And I think we've all been there in life where you hit a wall and you don't know how to get through it or you can, you know, you give up or whatever. Um, and that's what this is about. It's about helping people get unstuck. So let's start with you telling everybody where you were born and raised. And I want to, first, I want to welcome everybody um, real quick, Ryan Austin and Larry Schneider and Scott Ricard and, um, Michael is in the house. So, so let's, let's start with where you were born and raised, Amy Lee. Yeah. So I was born and raised in a little town called Pembroke, Massachusetts. It's about 20 minutes South of Plymouth. Um, yeah, so that's where I was born. And, um, I moved to Savannah, Georgia after I got married and then, you know, the army took us all over the country. And then when my husband, when I was able to retire my husband and he resigned his commission, we came back to Savannah. So that's where we are now. Nice. We have, look at this. We have Miss Iowa watching. Hi, Miss Iowa. Abby Curran. She's going to be on the show this week. So, so, all right. Well, that was a nice little quick trip through your life, but um, <laughs> let's let's um, let's let's go a little deeper. Let's let's talk about you were born and raised, and and you're shaking your leg up and down. <laughs> I have ADD. <laughs> you're so I'm funny. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> you're so funny. So. Um, Talk about where, you know, what was it like for you um, growing up as a child? I mean, were you an only child? Did you have siblings? Did you, I mean, what was it like for you growing up? 
So I was one of those kids who was lucky enough to have one of those ever expanding family trees. Both of my parents were married before they had my brother and I, and both of my parents got married again after they got divorced. So we have a really super fun tree. I have older half sisters. I have a stepsister. It's, it's all very crazy. But um, my brother and I are the only two products of my parents' marriage, I guess. And yeah, he's, uh, I think he's 35. So yeah, we're, yeah, that's us. That's, that's us. Okay. And what was it like for you growing up in 20 minutes South of Plymouth? What was it like? Yeah, it was, um, it was interesting. It was definitely, I lived a lot of my life feeling very different from other kids. I was interested in completely different things than they were. Uh, when I was in high school, I got really good grades. When I was in high school, one of the teachers, the sociology teacher asked my mom to come in for parent conferences. And my mom was like, oh gosh, what's wrong? Emily never gets in trouble. And so apparently the sociology teacher said, you know, my mom's like, you know, what did she do? And she's like, well, it's not that, you know, her grades are great, but all the other kids are talking about who's dating who and what's for lunch. And Amy Lee is talking about gender apartheid in Afghanistan. <laughs> this was this was pre 9-11 so we didn't know anything about the taliban or anything you know as right. a country yet but yeah i've just always been kind of a quirky kid i guess i've always looked at things differently and so growing up i never felt like i was really i don't know i guess i never really felt like i fit in i never really felt like i was like all the other kids and obviously i look at that now and i'm like oh my goodness like thank goodness because you know i didn't peak in high school and um, yeah, so it, it it really shaped who I was and, and who I who I am. Um, and I don't think I would change it because it really did make a difference in who I became, I think. So, you know, I, I, I like to think I don't like to think it's a theory of mine that I, I think it's not just my theory, um, but that there's always some kind of a person or an event um, something that kind of shapes who we become or puts us on the trajectory of who we become as adults, something as a child. When, when I, when I talk about that, is there anything that like comes to mind that like you were like, yeah, well, you know, I had this one teacher that, that, or was a parent or a friend or sibling, or is there anybody that comes to mind that, or any situation that, that like kind of pushed you in the direction that you went as an adult? You know, it's funny you say that because I think that one of the real big catalysts in my life for becoming who I am is my father. And the reason that that matters is because my father is actually a narcissist. And so I grew up with a lot of uh, narcissistic abuse but that being said, it also really shaped who I became because my father was so into metaphysics and existentiality and all these things that I would try to study those things in order to please him, in order to make him like me, in order to be relevant. And um, obviously those things have found their own way into my life, you know, in their in their own way, since I, I don't actually have contact with him anymore. But I, I have to say that a lot of that came from his interest in those things and what his motives were behind those interests, you know, speculation could tell us, I, I really don't know. 
Uh, but I know that that's really where I got my start with that. That's where, because becoming, being academic and knowing things and being able to be at a party and have him point at me and be like, Amy Lee, what's the capital of this? And what's this? And what's that? And talk about your idea of whatever, you know, um, when I was in the first grade, my father made some kind of arrangement with the kindergarten teachers for me to go down at recess and sing for them. And I sang um, this song called Sad Movies, which I guess is from like the 40s and another song, I Told Every Little Star. And I was like his dancing bear. And so I, the more that I educated myself and the more that I learned about my world and, and really just kind of fast forward my childhood, the more that he would dote on me and give me attention. So honestly, that really had a lot to do with it. Wow. So, so when you were growing up, I mean, how long you said your parents got divorced? How, how long were they married? Um, my parents were married for 10 years, but they got divorced when I was seven. Okay. So you were seven years old and and I, uh, so what happened? I mean, did you go with your mom? Did you go? Yeah, I yeah. My mom ended up getting remarried, and um, my father left and went to you know wherever he went. Um, we saw him every other weekend and uh, yeah. Tuesdays and every other weekend. So yeah, so it would be my day to go to my dad's today. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> yeah, I guess it would. So so um, and how did that? How did that? Um, I came from a divorced home too. So I know a little bit about it. Um, did that, did that impact you in any, like at, at seven years old and your parents are getting a divorce and you're kind of being now pulled apart as a family, did that have any kind of an impact on you? Do you feel? Yeah. I mean, I was very fortunate. I have an incredible stepdad, you know, he jumped right into the picture and he became a really great father figure for me, but it was definitely hard. My father was um, a mobile DJ. So he was doing like um, clubs and stuff. And after when I got into my teens, another way that I found his favor was that I would do gigs with him and he'd get paid all this money. I would lug the equipment. I'd do the gig and he'd throw me a hundred bucks or something like that. But um, the reason I bring that up is because growing up, you know, my father had us every other weekend. And so when he had his turn to have us, it was his Saturday night. He wanted to go out. He had a girlfriend. So we would go, my brother and I would go to whoever's house would was available to babysit us. And so right. we grew up kind of every weekend. We were, you know, guess where you're going tonight? Sometimes it was my big sister. She's 10 years older than me. Sometimes it was, you know, just random friends of my father's. Usually they were females. Occasionally they were males. Um, but I never knew, you know, and it was only that one night and then he'd take us home the next day. Um, but yeah, it, it was, it was a very different existence. And the other thing too, is because he was a narcissist and by the way, I've never discussed any of this publicly, certainly not on every channel. Um, wow. but the other thing that really, you know, because he was a narcissist, he really worked hard to try to pit me against my mother. And so he, you know, create, like, I look back now at situations and things that I was told about the way things were. And I realize now that that's not how they were at all, that, that I can't go back and, and rehab those moments where I thought that, wow, you know, my, my mom did this to my dad and, and it's, it's kind of painful, you know, you kind of got to just be like, 
it, it was for a purpose. It, it had a cause, you know, it had a reason. Uh, but it, you know, it's definitely if if you really dig into it, it can really be a traumatic thought, I guess. Wow. So so do you like so at seven years old? You and and you said your dad moved away, but he was still close enough that you saw him yeah, every other weekend. Yeah, he just moved. Okay. Yeah, he yeah. moved into the apartment. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um. So so then and you're in school and I I, I can remember um as a kid I can remember you know I had the friends whose parents were married forever and you knew they were going to be married forever and I can remember feeling this sense of jealousy i don't know what the i don't know if it was maybe maybe that um did you experience some of that like where you felt like you know um i definitely feel like up until i was seven i was in dance class i was in drama i was in the variety shows i was doing all these things and then turned seven and all of a sudden i wasn't one of the popular kids i wasn't hanging out with the cool girls anymore it was like i just yeah. kind of got like kicked off the ship um i was only the second kid in my elementary school to have parents who were divorced and um wow it was it was really traumatic you know the teachers yeah. were very like aware of it and i didn't even really understand and like they were more aware of it than i was and there was just a lot of drama around it um but you know looking yeah. back i mean i couldn't i don't even know how she did it as long as she did the way he was <laughs> wow wow so so you um you ended up going to like, did you stay in the same house your entire childhood? Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's I lived awesome. in the same house from when I was three until I got married. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's pretty cool. So you went to high school and, and all of that. Um, did you go to college? I did. I went to Roger Williams university for my first year. I had a scholarship there and then I didn't want to go back. Uh, so I went, I moved back home and I commuted to uh, Bridgewater State College, which is now Bridgewater State University. And that's where I graduated from. And that's in Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, and, and so you, so what was your degree in? Um, I have an undergraduate degree in communication studies. And then I went back and got my post-baccalaureate certificate in elementary education. So you were going to be a teacher. Is that what you did? Yes and no. Um, first of all, I got out. Of, so after I got my communications degree, I thought I wanted to be a wedding planner. So like I manifested this incredible job in Boston working on this um, on this uh, cruise ship uh, dinner cruise thing. I know, Olga. I know. I, I, I hear you say that sometimes in Clubhouse. Yes. So I used to, okay, so you know it then. I used to work for Odyssey Cruises and I thought it was my dream job and wedding planning was the worst thing ever. I hadn't even planned my own wedding yet. And it was just, it was like the the like worst vicarious situation you could imagine and I hated it. I don't know if I got fired or if they just were like, we'll just give you a good, like, we'll just give you a good reference and like patted me on the back. And, yeah. um, and then I was like, you know, I used to play, you know, school with my stuffed animals when I was little. So maybe I'll go do this teacher thing. And I did love education. So I went back and got that certificate and I went and did that. And I worked in, <laughs> I worked in an Islamic school. I worked in an Islamic school for uh, fourth grade and fifth graders. Wow. And it was a very uh, 
harrowing experience. Um, there was one day where this little boy ran across the road after a ball. He wasn't in my class. He was in third grade. And so <laughs> when I went and worked at this school, I had um, just gotten divorced, right? Because I was married yeah. before and I had wow. a Lebanese last name. So when I worked at this school, I had this Lebanese last name. Well, somehow they found out that I was actually Jewish. And yeah. So anyway, so this little boy ran across the street after this ball and I called him back and I made him stand by the fence. The next day I got pulled into the principal's office oh. and the principal said that um, they didn't want me speaking to the children that weren't in my class because the parents were afraid that I was imparting my Jewish ideals onto them. Oh, Lord have mercy. Mm -hmm. hey, wow. Yeah. Joe. So say that was not a good fit. And um, I ended up leaving that school. And then after so, that, they thought that you were imparting Jewish beliefs into the little Islamic kids. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. not, that's not nice. Why well, would you I'm, do that? I, I know I shouldn't have. I, <laughs> how dare I try to keep him from getting hit by a car, right? Like, I don't I know. know. Wow. I don't know. But anyway, um, so then, um, so, so I did that. And then I ended up getting another job in the education sector, working as the um, assistant to the president and, and consulting firm. So I worked there for a little while. I feel like this is like, this is your life. Um, and I worked in Lexington, Mass. And that was awesome because it was like, you know, like the whole like um, April morning thing, the Lexington green and all that stuff. Yes, I'm such a heathen, Charles. How'd you know? Um, <laughs> you're, a cult, you're a cult leader. <laughs> I am. I am a cult leader. I heard that that's that's the cool thing to do. Yes, yes, yeah. exactly. Um, and and whatever. I mean, they were very nice until then. You know, they just. I I, I get it. They were threatened. It's okay. I mean, they did yeah. build. They did build a you know a, a mosque right next to the synagogue in the most Jewish town in all of Massachusetts. So I mean, I don't know. They must have, yeah. Anyway, wow. So, um, so then I worked and for the assistant to the president, and mm -hmm. look at look at oh. what Olga says. Olga, we're like twins. <laughs> oh wow. Oh, thanks, Mitch. I'm glad to have you as part of my cult. And um, so then I um worked for the assistant to the president and I ended up, um, so I was, you know, divorced at that time. And then I well, wait, let, go back to, yeah, hold it. Let's talk. You got married. Yeah, I did. I did. How, so oh, did you get married young? I got married at, okay. So I don't actually, I blocked it out kind of. Um, I think I well, was. Let's, un, let's remove that block right now. Look, we're breaking through some walls. Yes. Yay. Okay. <clears throat> All right. Um, I married the guy that I dated in uh, college. We lived on the same street and the class that we met, the professor's name was street. So like it was meant to be right. Shut up, Joe. <laughs> yeah. Um, he, he is a lovely guy. He was my best friend, but there wasn't anything there romantically, but you, you know, lived on the uh, same street as kids or uh, in college. We lived on the same street all growing up, but we didn't. Oh. We were in two different towns on the same street, so we didn't meet until we were in college. Um, nice gotcha. kid, very nice kid, but we had very different, um, very different, you know, ideals um, yeah. and very 
different dreams. He wanted to live in California and be around the movies. And I wanted to live in Savannah and live in Mayberry. And so we were just very, very different. Um, and so I, okay. So I guess we got married maybe 2008. Does that sound right? Maybe. Yeah. I, I, then, I wasn't there. You, I didn't get an invitation to the wedding, so I'm not sure. Yeah. And, uh, well, not many people did, but anyway, um, we were together for like nine months and then we figured out that wasn't, that wasn't a thing. So we separated, but we didn't get divorced because we, um, didn't have the money, right? Like, and yeah. we didn't need each other. We didn't need to be, we, we had no reason to get divorced, but we right. weren't together. He ended up getting a new girlfriend and I ended up, um, meeting, uh, my now husband online and, um, he lived in Savannah and so I moved to Savannah and uh, got married, had a bunch of babies. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So, okay. That is not, we're not doing this. We are not doing this, Amy Lee. Um, and you need to go over to the comments and go up and click private chat so you can't see the comments. It's distracting okay. you. Okay. Right. I want you to, there. I'll handle the comments. I, I, if I don't like them, I won't put them on screen. You can see them then. But so, so, so the, so you ended up meeting your husband, Will, mm -hmm. um, you said online. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I did okay. a search for the uh, Savannah zip code and uh, I put it in on a dating website. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. And, and you saw that he was in the military. Um, yeah, but <laughs> you know, this story, I know, you know, this story. No, so I don't. I, I saw his profile and he said, you know, I have five kids and I love them. If you have kids, I'll love them too. And I just thought that was really sweet. I knew he lived out of town. I figured, you know, nothing was going to happen. So I just messaged him and just said, Hey, I just want you to know, I think that's really great you're probably a great dad. And it turns out he was online. And then we started talking and he was into the same things I was in. He was studying Hebrew. I was studying Hebrew. I found out, you know, he told me he was a ranger. And so I, I thought that meant that um, he was a park ranger, but it turns out he was an army ranger. I mean, I knew he was an army ranger, but I thought it was some kind of park. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what it was. Right. Um, and so he was a little bit taken aback by that. And so we ended up deciding to meet and I, I went, I, you know, I, I had Patriot's day weekend off because, um, the, you know, uh, Boston, and usually we would go to the marathon Monday Red Sox game. So I had, uh, I don't even know what that's in reference to star Wars or star Trek. No, not. He wants to know. Uh, yeah. Th there's a, there, there's a debate globally, like, Who's, um, who's, 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 never mind. Let's carry on. <laughs> Is that one of those non-distracting comments you put up? Like, do you like Star Wars or Star Trek better? Like, like you know. Oh, I'm definitely yeah. Star Wars. Yeah. Star Trek just, it creeps me yeah. out. Yeah. So, um, although my friend Anthony, who was on Star Wars, Star Trek, would probably kill me for saying that. But anyway, um, so then we decided to, you know, um, I said, you know, I have Patriot's Day weekend off. I'd love to come visit you. He's like, well, I won't be in Savannah. And I was like, oh, he's like, you can come to Pittsburgh. I'm going to be visiting my best friend and my, and my sister. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. So he was on block leave. So I got on the plane, met this guy, could have totally been a catfish. And I remember I got wow. off the plane. 
I got off the plane and I, I, he was texting me like what, what car rental? And I didn't want to tell him because I didn't want him waiting there. Cause I wanted to have the first look, you know? So yeah. I just said, I don't know. I'll have to look it up. Whatever lied through my teeth. And I came down the escalator and I'm not kidding you. He was standing at the bottom. We locked eyes and I literally have never seen another man since. Like I'm not even wow. joking. It was like imprint in instantly. It was just, he was standing there with his big, you know, they call it the tick, which is that big brown backpack they give the Rangers. And he was just standing there and he was everything. And, and you know, just to full disclosure, before I met Will, it wasn't that I didn't know my sexuality, but I just never really had a real true attraction to a person. Guy or right. girl, right? Like I just never really, it was just never really there maybe because of abuse, maybe who knows, whatever. With him, no question, no question whatsoever. It was like, oh, hello, hello my, the rest of my life. And yeah, so um, we spent a great weekend together and um, he ended up, he, he was deploying. And so wow. he was deployed to Afghanistan and he was there and I sent him, I sent him lots of packages and he said the people that were in his unit got so pissed because they'd be like mail call and there'd be like 15 boxes and they're all thinking they're getting things and nope, Westervelt, 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 Westervelt. Wow. But you know, you're a young girl and you have a little job and you don't have any kids, like what are you going to do? You just spoil your boyfriend who's in Afghanistan. And it, that was his um, 11th deployment. And he got to come home early. He commissioned. Wow. And we got married and we made a bunch of kids. And here we are. How many kids? We have five children together. So there are 10 children in total. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 10. Yeah. And then we have two au pairs that have come from both Brazil and Mexico. So if you count them, it's 12. <laughs> it's oh so fun God. though. Hold it. And uh, what's an au, an au pairs to help you take care of the children, right? Yeah. So we have one that came from Mexico and one that came from Brazil and they both stayed for a year and we stay in touch with them. One lives in the next. Actually, one's babysitting tonight. Oh yeah. Everybody is saying, wow, wow, wow. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. You have literally a football team. Yeah. Something like that very close that is that's unbelievable wow mm -hmm. so why is it how's it so quiet there i threatened my children with the wrath of god if they came out of their room <laughs> oh my, um, will took the baby to um therapy he has special needs so he took him over to occupational therapy and yeah. my other kids are playing quietly upstairs with their game boys wow so you, um, okay. So at some point in your adult life after meeting Will, um, and obviously being a very, um, charged relationship, I mean, you have five kids, um, so together, so, so you, you, um, were you working this whole time? What, what were you doing? I mean, what? I mean, I was tutoring on the side and I was, you know, couponing and all that, but I mean, you know, he was in the military and he wanted to be the breadwinner. And so, uh, age range of the kids, my oldest is eight. My youngest is 18 months. Um, and so we were living in Alaska 
Um, we got stationed there. When he commissioned, he became an officer in the military intelligence, and we moved to Fairbanks, Alaska. It was negative 60. You could hold it, hold yeah. This is okay. So well, I'm I'm still at the escalator in in Pittsburgh. Yeah. And so how soon did y'all get, he went, so he went to Afghanistan and he came back and then you got married. How long, what was the time span? Yeah. So funny story about that. So remember I told you about my first husband and how we didn't have any real need to get divorced. Well, suddenly uh, we had real need to get divorced and yeah. in Massachusetts, and this is another story I don't tell everybody. I, have I had a glass of wine or something? I must just, this must just be like a serum show, right? But I mean, if you're not going to tell all on the, on the, you know, breaking down walls, then what are you, you going to do? <laughs> Sorry, Joe. <laughs> right. So, um, so we decided, you know, to get divorced. And in Massachusetts, it takes 90 days um, to have your uh, divorce be finalized. Um, and then I think it takes another 90. I, I don't remember. There's some name for it. But long story short, my divorce was final November 20th. I flew back to Boston you have to take three days. Hi, Jennifer. You have to take three days. I love your ads, by the way. I see them all the time. They're so sharp. And she's, she's a badass. You did a great job. Yeah. And um, so you have to, so it takes three days to get a marriage license. So I flew home on the 20th because um, I was staying flew home from where? From Savannah. I was staying with him in Savannah. Okay. So I was, huh? staying, I was pregnant. So I was staying in Savannah. And, and you weren't, you weren't even divorced. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. So I was staying in Savannah. So I flew home to Boston. Okay. Flew home to Boston. And I went to the marriage registrars on the day that my divorce was final. I got my marriage license, waited the three days. It was Thanksgiving that Thursday. The first day that I was legally allowed to get married was when I married Will. It was Black Friday on uh, in 2011. So yeah, I literally the moment I could get divorced, <laughs> it's crazy. You got so, yeah. married on Black Friday? Mm -hmm. yeah. Were they running some kind of a special promo offer or? <laughs> no. no, it's one of my favorite days until they ruined it with all their wokeness, but yeah. Uh, like back in the day, it used to be like Friday morning. I'd go with my sister and my mom at like 5 a.m. Now it's like Black Monday. I mean, it's ridiculous. <laughs> you said they ruined it. Sorry, am I getting too tell-all-y? I mean, no, I mean, did you say they ruined it with all their woke wokeness? <laughs> yeah. I love it. I freaking love it. So, okay, you um, you got married. You yeah. had a biscuit in the microwave. <laughs> we actually don't own a microwave, but yes. A bun in the oven. It's yeah. just a, yeah. So you got, you got married. You got, okay. You got married literally. Oh my God. That's unbelievable. Okay. So, um, and, and Jennifer. Loves you think Will, it's worth it. Don't you think? Yeah. Oh, Will's awesome. So, so. And and you were living in Savannah at the time. Yeah. So he was stationed at Hunter and okay. he was commissioning. He was graduating from college and commissioning as an okay. officer. And then we got stationed in Alaska. So we ended up, it was negative 65 degrees in Fairbanks. 
You could literally pour water in the air and it would evaporate. I have a video of it. It really does happen. Wow. Yeah, it's terrible. Dark all the time. No shopping. I mean, except for like Walmart. But like it was just, it was like a food <laughs> desert. It was just not, just no. I mean, I love Did you guys. Have, there, was there a synagogue though? <laughs> yes and no. Um, there was. It was reform. And the rabbi only visited once a year. And guess what they called themselves? <laughs> The Frozen Chosen. (laughs) That That is freaking awesome. The Ark ark at the synagogue, right, was like a TV stand that you like open and like the Torah was in it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That is so funny. Oh, my gosh. So how long were you in Alaska? Well, that's the story I'm going to tell. So this this part of the story will go fast because I tell this part all the time. So it's negative 65 degrees. I was miserable. We were 7,000 miles from home. Look, look what Jen said. I knew it. <laughs> I mean, hello, Jen. Really? Can you not tell? Um, <laughs> most people, yeah. So most people think that Alaska is like over here, but Alaska is like, well, yeah, Anchorage, but not Fairbanks, Scott. Fairbanks is like where you like dreams go to die. And so Fairbanks, so Alaska is like up to Canada and then over to Alaska. It's closer to Russia. Like when Sarah Palin said she could see Russia from her house, she was serious, you guys. Like it's that close. So anyway, so we're there. It's negative 65 degrees, miserable. And I just was done. I was like, I waited my whole life to meet this guy. He's my, he's my, oh, nice. Awesome. Um, he, he's my, you know, my best friend. I want to spend my time with him. This is stupid. So I was like, dude, I can't do this anymore. And he's like, okay, well, you need to figure out how to make the money in order for us to not have to do this anymore. And he gave me the amount and I was like, okay, had no idea how I was going to do that. No idea whatsoever. Um, but I remembered that I had studied the secret a lot, you know, and so I went back to that and then I ended up watching that Bob Proctor thing from the eighties, that hokey, you were born rich. Yeah. If you guys haven't watched it, it is phenomenal. If you can get over the cable knit sweaters and the Canadian <laughs> accent, I love you Canadians, mean it. but if you can get over that, it is one of the most powerful pieces of television ever. And it's 10 hours and you should just binge it for the rest of your life. So I watched it. And one of the things that it talked about was, what do you really want? And he kept saying it over again. What do you really want? And I was like, you know what, Bob? You know what? I have no freaking clue. I don't know. I don't know what I want. And so I started to really think about what that looked like. And the more that I dismantled it, the more I realized that I really genuinely had no idea. I knew what I didn't want. I knew generally that I wanted good things, but I didn't really know what those were. And that's when dream design was born. And so I found that being an empath and a highly sensitive, dream design is something that a lot of people struggle with, right? So anyway, um, I so I decided what I wanted. I made this whole list and I ended up getting into this network marketing company. We're going to fly through this because they're not getting any airtime. Got into this network marketing company, made you know a really big team, didn't recruit anybody, didn't cold message anybody. It just kind of was organic. It was manifestation, ended up making ridiculous money doing it. Um, and my husband came to me and goes, okay, you know, we, we made this amount of money, but imagine if we made 20,000 a month. And I looked at him and I'm like, why would you say that? Like we were doing so good. We were, we were so there. And like, why would you like keep raising the bar? And he's like, but what if we did? 
And I was like, okay, fine. So we tried to make 20,000 Then we ended up making 60,000. Then we were at a hundred thousand. And so then he resigned his commission in the army. We came home. We were in this network marketing company. Life was great. And then things started to get a little fishy and uh, we were no longer aligned on the um, ethics, morals kind of. And I had to make a decision. In the network marketing company. Yeah. 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 And, so. and, and you were, hold it. You, where were you at this point? Still Back in, in Savannah. Yeah, no, this was here. I had bought this house. Oh. I, had, I was living the dream, but the ethics, the, the, it was, it was not a good fit anymore. And, um, it was right before Hanukkah when all through the house. No, um, it was right before Hanukkah. And, um, I, I swear I, I heard this little voice that was like, you gotta, you gotta get rid of this. You gotta put this on the altar. I was like, what now? What? It was like, you got to put this on the altar. But the good news is, you know how this story goes, right? Like, it, just trust me. And I was like, really? Like right before, like right like now with nothing to back us up? And yeah. Wow. Yeah, do that. So I was like, okay. But I know the story about the lamb in the thicket. So I just waited for the lamb. And I ended up making my own coaching business doing, um, you know, coaching empaths and highly sensitives because that's what I was and that's what I related to. And, uh, yeah, long story short, uh, God provided, I got out of the network marketing company. They were flabbergasted. People do not mention those. People do not leave a company making $30,000 a month. They just don't do that. Right. Like there's gotta be a reason, but I did. And I started over with nothing. And you know, that first Hanukkah was, was a little scary, but it wasn't because when we needed the money, when the bill was due, it was there. When we needed something, it was there. And I ended up building this really robust coaching business, working with empaths and highly sensitives. And then one day I was like, dream design. This is something that empaths and highly sensitives struggle with. This is something that's really hard for them. What if I created a whole niche just around figuring out what you want? And I realized the two things that that population really struggled with was overwhelm, and guilt. I don't know what I want. And I don't even begin to know how to sit down and think about it. And who the hell am I to want anything? I'm stuck, but I'm not starving. Yes, exactly. Joe gets it. I'm stuck, but I'm not starving, right? Like it's not so bad. And that's where people get stuck. And so now I have created this whole, as Russell Brunson would say, blue ocean, right? Where I serve these people on a whole new level where they're realizing, wait a second, the thing that stopped me from getting what I wanted wasn't money. It wasn't time. It wasn't luck. It was me knowing what it was. And so being able to make that shift and helping people see those limiting beliefs that are keeping them from that trajectory. It is like, I mean, I've never done drugs, but it seems like it would be a really, really high form of crack. (laughs) A high form of crack. (laughs) Yeah. Something that you could get really addicted to the high from. Right. Right. Well, it looks like Mitch is in your tribe. Mm-hmm. That's that's really awesome. So so um, and what? So you were in the network marketing deal doing thirty grand a month. That was at the end. Yeah, at, at one point I was making about. Uh, I think it was consistently between seventy and a hundred thousand a month. Wow! And you left that. You just I'm out. Yeah. Bye. Wow. Mm-hmm. So, um, and you live in a ginormous house. I've rumor, rumor, rumor has it. 
I mean, you have 10 kids for the love of God. You need you know, a big house. Yeah, but some of them are grown up now. We have one in the army, one's in rehab, one's, uh, <laughs> one, one's in college, right? And then the other two. So, so there's really only two that come, you know, and visit. And then we got my five, so it's seven. I am a crack coach. Thank you, Dan. <laughs> I'm going to put that in my title, Amy Lee, crack coach. Right, right. So, so, um, so you've, you've been, how long have you been on the coaching journey now? So, um, 2018 is when I left. So I guess like, um, in September it'll be three years, but I, I was like, you know, I, I was unofficially coaching the whole time I was in network marketing. Cause that's what I really wanted. I joined that company. Mostly I joined because I wanted to be a visionary, right? No, I don't have adult children. That's my husband's kids. My, my child is eight. <laughs> um, but um, thank you. You're so sweet, Jill. You don't look old enough to have kids either, FYI. Um, but you know that's my wife, right? Really? Really, Ken? How long have we hung out that you don't think I know your wife's name? All right. Well, hey, thanks for stopping by. You know that the little like empath OCD in me is going, what do those all say? So, so, so the, um, you started this in 2018 and I know you're killing it. You're also known as, um, you're also known as don't, don't get my wife laughing at your stuff either or Megan. So, or Jen, all right, enough with the LOLs. So, um, so the, the, um, you got into this and, and, and I know that you also, don't you, I don't, do you teach people how to build Facebook groups too? Yeah. So I'm a Facebook power admin. So I'm recognized by Facebook as someone who's really good at building groups. It's something that I do on the peripheral. Um, I have a program called sensitive and successful. I do it specifically for empaths, creatives, and intuitives. So people who have a hard time feeling like they, they don't want to show up online because they don't want to be too salesy or they don't, necessarily feel comfortable sharing. So those are my, those are my people, but yeah, Facebook groups is one of, one of my superpowers. It is. And you're really, really, really good. Um, so, so talk about a couple of things. Like I said, enough with the LOLs. And like, if you would, if you saw the comments, you'd be like, everybody is typing LOL or laughing my butt off and all this stuff. Like, um, my wife says, and I love this, you can see that you're, it shows you, you radiate this amazing energy. I've noted that about you from the very beginning when I first met you is you're just radiant and glowing this amazing energy. And I, I love that about you. Um, Ryan, Ryan says <laughs> that he's laughing. <laughs> I knew we were going to have fun. So, you know, I, I like to talk about um, things that are holding people back. And I know there's no universal, like, this is the single thing. Um, but I, I'd like to hear your opinion about, like, what, what are some of the things that, that you think are holding people back in life from achieving, number one, financial success. Most people will never, and I mean the majority of people on this planet will never know what it's like to make a hundred thousand dollars in a month. Right. You know that I know that, but, but for the people who 
and and I think that they justify. Tell me if you think I'm right. People make up these justifications for not having to ever try to make a hundred thousand dollars a month. We we justify it like, well, you know, that's for somebody else, not me. I'm I'm very happy making seventy thousand dollars a year or whatever. Yada yada yada. Right? There's mm-hmm. see, I just spoke some Yiddish. Um, so. <laughs> So, um, look, Jen says, yes, you are radiating. I promise there are no buns in the oven, okay? Just so don't <laughs> that rumor. That is not that kind of radiating. No glow. Glowless. Right, right. right. Look, my, my wife even says it. Um, so so what, what do you think stops people from, from really making it in life? Genuinely, at this time, <laughs> he's he's. Re- I shouldn't I have put that up. Anywhere, oh my gosh! Gen- genuinely, at this time in life, I think it's overwhelm. I do. I think that you know, you look at um in the book, um, procrastinating on purpose. The guy talks about how um we used to in one year in medieval times we would have, you know, we, we have the amount of thoughts and, and concerns in one day that we used to have in one year during medieval times. We have a disease of decision fatigue. There's so many choices. I mean, online, you can go, if you look up sneakers, there's 250,000 pairs, right? So we have been trained to shut down from that overwhelm and social media does a really good job of keeping us overwhelmed. Even in our peripheral vision on Facebook, there's ads, there's, you know, other things to click on. You go in a group and they're like, Hey, I know you're here, but do you want to look at five other things that have absolutely nothing to do with this, but use the same keyword? I mean, (laughs) it's it's no wonder that people are just absolutely inundated. So it really starts with figuring out what you want. And sometimes you kind of got to get quiet and do that, right? Like, I think that it's really important that you sit down before you look at what's available. And that's the difference between dream design, right? So I want you to consider it like this. If you go to a really fancy restaurant, you sit down at the chef's table, okay? You might say, you know, they'll come out at the end of the meal and they'll say, hey, what would you like for dessert? And you might look at them and say, well, you know, I really like chocolate. Chocolate's great. And I like strawberries. Do you have anything with strawberries? No strawberries? Okay, how about cherry? You like cherry? Great. And um, maybe something like flourless. I really like that really rich detail. And you give him a couple of ideas and he goes off in the kitchen and he brings you back this thing that you designed. And he puts it down in front of you and you take a bite and it's like, oh my God, this is everything I ever wanted, right? As opposed to when you go to a restaurant and they've got that little cart full of all the stale pieces of cake that are like sitting on the cart and you go, yeah, you know, chocolate's available. I'll take the chocolate. And it looks like maybe it has a filling and you put it down in front of you and you take a bite and you taste the mint julep and you're like, I don't even like mint. And it's like stale and it's not what you wanted at all. Right. That's what happens when we look at what's available for what to pick from. But when Mm. we design it, we think of what we want and then we let the universe and our reticular activating system show us what we are looking for. It's like going to the want ads and seeing what jobs are available versus designing your dream job and then letting it show up in your life. So that's what I think is the big problem is that people don't really know what they want. And then they wonder why what's already there doesn't suit them because it wasn't designed for them. It was designed for somebody else's needs. It was designed for somebody else's wants. 
It's it's not catered to your design. So I, I love what Nicole brings up here. For me, I don't know what I want, so I don't even move. Mm-hmm. I don't yep. move. And that yes. I think is a, is the majority of a lot of people. Yeah. They don't know what they want, so they just and you said it a little bit ago. So they, eh, you know where where I'm at is is it's not that bad. I mean, I, I well, in our terrible. favorite book, our favorite book that you recommended to me, the one Beyond Positive Thinking. One of the things it says is when we don't make a choice, we don't have to be wrong, right? Like if right. we don't make a choice, then we're not wrong. Then we get to stay stuck, but we get to stay on the right side of stuck. We think. And then we turn around one day and it's the end of our life and we're wondering what we did with it. But at least we weren't wrong. Oh, my God. That's brilliant. Say that again so the people in the back can hear it. Yeah. So we spend our whole lives trying so hard not to be wrong. And then we get to the end of our life and we haven't done anything, but at least we weren't wrong. That's brilliant. You know, not making a choice is making a choice. Yeah, absolutely. You're making a choice. Megan says, so true, decision fatigue. That's why so many entrepreneurs quit. I I have such a hard time with that word. Entrepreneurs quit because they don't trust delegation or can't afford it. Gets you know, spinning too many plates, missing profitable decisions because they're, amen. I agree with that. Do you agree? I do. And I would take it a step further and say they also tend to abdicate instead of delegating. They think they're delegating, but they take the whole task and hand it off to somebody else without you know any oversight. And then they wonder why they get it back and it's not what they wanted. And so when people do that, when they abdicate instead of delegating, they end up turning themselves off and giving themselves a bad taste for delegation forever. So it's much better. I, I love what you said. It's much better. And I think you know, I actually wrote an article about the difference between delegation and abdication. And there it's it's amazing how much better results you get when you know again, back to that knowing what you want and having an expectation. Yeah. So what is um <clears throat> my wife's typing out what you said? I, I love that. So um Nicole says, I need choices first. You think you do. You've been conditioned to think that you need choices first. But what did people do before the internet? What did people do before catalogs? They they invented the airplane, right? They invented the television. I mean, you, you, you've been conditioned to think that you need somebody else to give you ideas, but you have an incredible imagination that will build exactly what you need, exactly what you desire, exactly what your soul vision is craving. But the problem is that you are secretly, you don't even realize that you're settling for whatever iteration of that society has created. And it might be because it was the most economical. It might be because it was cheap to build. It might be because it was in alignment with what that person designed. But if you truly give yourself a moment and just sit down and say, what do I really want? Get away from your computer, get away from your tablet, get away from your phone and just start writing it down. That's why they talk about free association writing, right? Because it comes right out of your mind. Yep. So just start writing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that. There's, there's a lot of, of great comments. Um, Charles, they invented making 10 children and and then began farming. (laughs) Right. Right. So, so, you know, there was a, a 
a uh, and I talk about this a lot um, on the show that you know I I had a a back when my wife and I opened up our first office um, we had some employees and and um, they were all getting paid we weren't I had a guy show up at my office and repossess my my vehicle in front of my employees it was a terrible day and I can remember feeling like this is the this is the end of my life. This it's over. Like it's never going to get worse than this. This is it. And, and, you know, for the people who, cause 2020, there was a, um, there was a, a, a lot of, of pain that people went through. Um, and unfortunately, there were a lot of suicides. There were, I mean, suicides went through the roof and, and there's still a lot of residual pain left over. And, and so for the people who maybe their electric's going to be shut off or they're going through, you know, they can't, they had a repossession or they're, they're, you know, they're going through it right now. They're barely hanging on. If they called you and said, I've tried everything. I don't know what to do. I can't feed my kids. I can't whatever. I mean, what would you say to that person to help them get through to the next moment? Well, you know, I'm going to be a little controversial here. And I'm going to say that I don't think that it gets that bad for most people. I mean, does it get bad? Absolutely. But I think that we are so conditioned to think of like a worst case scenario and 99% of the time that never really comes to fruition. Like we live in these doomsday ideas of like, what happens if I can't feed my kids? There are so many people on Facebook that are walking around making, well, you know, Facebooking around making posts. If you ever have a problem where you can't feed your kids, send me a message. I'll send you money. No problem. There are food pantries. There are you know, I, I know I know people who have plenty of money that over the summer when they were doing free lunches for the schools, they would go up and get lunch for their kids. Like there are resources. Now, here's the problem. Sometimes when we get to that really low point, we have to come to terms with our dignity and our dignity is what takes the hit. And so I would say that most people are at the dignity phase, but not the starvation phase. But we read the dignity phase as the starvation phase. And the other thing I would say is that our circumstances don't dictate who we are. And this was something that I really had to learn. I really had to learn when we were going through it, you know, and we had some issues that happened with different things. I felt like those were dings on my character, that those were things that made me less than. And I realized that those were my circumstances. Those things didn't define me. So I think a lot of what people are going through is shame and guilt. And, you know, how did I let this happen? You didn't let this happen. We went through a national event, you know, call it what you will. It absolutely, whether you believe it's real or not, or as bad as it was or not, it shook this country in really bad ways and in really good ways and in really powerful ways. But understanding that there is nothing wrong with asking for help, asking for a little bit, you know, exactly, dignity versus pride, right? Asking for, you know, a leg up, asking for things. 
it comes back around. You're going to have the opportunity to help other people down the road. But I think that's really what that, that disconnect is, is that people, yes, are people committing suicide? Absolutely. That's more, I think, of a mental health issue. And that has a whole different host of, of um, you know, um, solutions. But I think in terms of struggling, there are people that are just opening their arms, their hearts, and their wallets to help those people. And, yeah. and I think that if you look for those resources, if you're genuinely in that place and you look for those resources, when you get over that little initial icky, hey, can I have, or can, you know, can you help me? After that, it's over. You know, it's like Grant Cardone on um, Undercover Billionaire. He has these uncomfortable moments where he's like, hey, can I come stay in your trailer? But five minutes later, he's sleeping there and it's fine. So we yeah. really, you know, we have to sometimes, we have to swallow our pride and we have to do what needs to be done in that moment. And that's what separates the resiliency from, you know, the victimhood. Yes, we all go through it. We all have struggles, but it's what we do with those struggles and how we are able to respond, a.k.a. our response ability that makes yep. a difference. That was a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant answer. So, so what, first off, I want to pop your website up here, gratitudeandglamour.com. Um, you help a lot of people, a lot of people. Um, and I'm, I'm honored to have you in my life and call you a client and a friend and, um, you're amazing. And, and, um, I, I love everything that you're doing. You're, you're just, you're killing it. You're, you're helping so many people. You really are. I'm you and I met on clubhouse and I was like, wow, this woman is just like, every time you speak, it's like, Boom, just these nuggets of wisdom come out. So, so, um, Charles said, I thought that was my website. <laughs> uh, if women knew what birth felt like up front, they would never do it. But we forget the minute they put that baby in our arms, the pain fades away. It's true. It's true. Um, Charles is right. The pandemic shook the world. The people of the world had to decide how they were going to deal with it. Amen. I agree. So, Amy Lee, what are some parting words of, of wisdom you would leave with anybody going through struggles right now that needs to have a breakthrough? What would you say, um, my wife absolutely loves you? Oh, thanks, Jill. Thank yeah. You. So, um, Jill, you're going to be meeting with Amy Lee to talk about her copy on her website, by the way. Oh, okay. <laughs> she doesn't know that. She just, she just found out. So <laughs> you and me so, both, kid. <laughs> do what? I said you and me both, kid. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so what, what words of wisdom, what, if somebody is stuck right now, they don't know which direction to go. Yeah. What would so, you say? Yeah. So I have this thing called the dream design blueprint and I'll give you the first step of the blueprint. You guys can certainly join my Facebook community. It's called dream building entrepreneurs. If you want to learn more, but the first step of everything that you're trying to create in your life is a feeling. And so you need to think about what are the feelings you're trying to create? If you think about Anything you've ever wanted, anything you've ever desired, 
like let's for example for the gentlemen out there like you guys might be into cars i know joe is into cars if you think about like a maserati or you know an aston martin or whatever why do you want that car you want that car because it has you know um i don't, I don't know it because when you pull up to the valet people are going to look at you and it's going to be amazing and you know it's all about the feeling it's about the feeling that you cultivate when you have this thing but the good news is you get to feel the feeling now so think about what that feeling is and then move into alignment with that feeling as you start to pour that feeling into your body the universe is going to go oh you like that feeling here and we'll have more of that and so then you're going to find more of that feeling. And the more that you have that feeling, then you can move through the rest of the dream design blueprint into thoughts and affirmations and um, tangible outcomes. So that's the first thing. What do you even want to feel? Joy, happiness, abundance, excitement. Start feeling those feelings now. You know what they feel like you've had them before. Feel them now. See what you saw. Hear what you heard. Feel what you felt. Feel them now. Wow. And join your community. What's it called again? Dream building entrepreneurs. Every time you say it, your internet like gets say it one more time. Dream building entrepreneurs. I wonder if I can get somebody in the comments to type that in for us. So the Facebook group is called Dream Building Entrepreneurs. I'll type it right here. That won't work. Well, it will for you. You'll see it. Yeah, but I can't do anything about it. Oh, yes, hold you. it. Yes, you can. You can highlight it and make it a I, I, I got it. I got it. I, I teach this, remember? I do remember. <laughs> I'm a coach. And one of the people you teach it to. I know. <laughs> I'm going to put it in the, in the, on my personal page as well. If I can Ooh. get that hold up here. Um, so that's better than a brownie. So I don't know about that. The brownies are pretty dang good. They are. I finally, I finally finished my last one. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> so there it is. I put it facebook.com groups, unstoppable dreaming. I mm -hmm. love that. And I'm a member of the group and you're very, very, very active in there. And I absolutely love it. It's amazing. And um, my wife, it's, it's, she's reiterating, start feeling the feelings you want now. Mm -hmm. Yes. Not much is better than the brownies. <laughs> Ken's jokes are pretty good, too. The Kennergy definitely works for me. The Kennergy. You know, Amy Lee came up with that. And I really want to start using that hashtag. Jill, we need to start using that hashtag Kennergy. I love that. So, you know, I, um, I'm so, so, and we have, uh, we have a couple of new people on here. Susan Whitehurst, who is amazing. Um, her husband, Weldon just went through a liver transplant. So we yeah, all need to you know, Susan, the town you grew up in is named for my husband's family. Is that crazy? Which is what? right down the road from us. Yeah, my husband's family invented, invented, founded Westerville, Ohio. Westerville, Ohio, been there a million times. Yeah. Wow, that is insane. So, Amy Lee, you're amazing. 
I freaking adore you. I think everybody that knows you and gets to know you, they, they all, we all feel the same. You're amazing. And you're, you're changing the world. You're changing the world. So thank you for who you are and what you're doing. And everybody go to gratitude and glamor and check out Amy Lee or go to amyleewestervelt.com. But the, um, where can the, where's the best place to follow you by the way, on social? Uh, follow, you probably follow me on Instagram. I mean, it, you can find, I have a Facebook page. Like you made me make a fan page. So I have that. Um, it's a uh, dream design coach. So like facebook.com uh, slash dream design coach. Yeah. Thanks Larry. Yes, we are praying for, and Tanisha, I think, I think she's a fan. She is a fan. I'm a fan too. So it works out. Yeah. She's my clubhouse mom. <clears throat> she what? She's my clubhouse mom. That's awesome. Yeah, I know Tanisha. She's amazing. All right. Well, listen, thank you for being here and sharing your wisdom and your love and your joy and, and your light with everybody. And Thanks. everybody go, make sure you go to the website and follow Amy Lee ever everywhere that you possibly can. And Amy Lee, I'm going to end this. So thank you. Don't hang up. Don't leave. Okay. I'm not hanging. I'm, I'm not leaving. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. Bye. See you guys later.